2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21. And let's pray before we open God's Word this morning. Father, we do pray this morning that as we open the pages of this book, that it wouldn't just be us opening it, but it would be your Spirit. We pray that as you've promised, that the Word would not return void this morning. We pray that it would go out and that it would accomplish its purposes. Feed us, so that when we leave this place, we know that we've been fed. Quench our thirst, so that we know that when we leave this place, that we have drunk deeply from the truth of Your Word. Grant us Your exceeding kindness this morning. We pray in the name of the living Word, Christ Jesus, Amen. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21, this is a holy, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. If you remember, we are doing our faith focus here in January. Just a reminder for those of you that maybe are new to this or weren't here last week, that what we try and do in the month of January is we just try and drill down on something that we feel like, oh, it needs to be more in the DNA of the church, something that would be helpful for us to think about together just over the month of January together. So our elders had selected this topic for January of 2022, living in light of eternity, a pilgrims, and then fill in the blank. So living in light of eternity. So last week we looked at living in light of eternity, a pilgrim's outlook. Last Sunday night we looked at living in light of eternity, a pilgrim's mind. This morning, I want to look at living in light of eternity, a pilgrim's friends, and then Kevin McKelvey will preach tonight, we'll do living in light of eternity, a pilgrim's pain. I would invite you to come back tonight. But today, this morning, we want to consider a pilgrim's friends. It's a little bit odd, I know, I, uh, the individual that does our bulletins uh, texted me uh, this week after seeing Second Timothy chapter four verse twenty one and said, "Is that really your text?" I said, "Yes, it's my text." Uh, this isn't exactly uh, normal, but a small text like this that we're going to use a little bit as a launching pad to consider the idea of friendships as Christians this morning. Give you a little bit of context, Second Timothy here. Paul is sitting in prison in Rome as he is writing this book of Second Timothy that he sends to his disciple Timothy. 
he has some semblance of the fact that he is going to die, he mentions in the book of 2 Timothy. He understands that he's going to be put to death by the Roman government. Uh, he also speaks about the fact that he is on trial or about ready to go on trial uh, for this. And as he is looking at all this, he feels very alone. And so he's going to send Timothy this letter that has different encouragements and exhortations in it, kind of final encouragements and exhortations in his writing. But, but there's one exhortation that rises above the rest for him in this letter. And we're going to look at that here. In verse 10, Paul tells Timothy that Demas, who was one of Paul's intimate ministry partners, a man that Paul has spoken about in other letters of his, he listed him right alongside of Luke in Colossians 4.14. He will list him right alongside of Mark and Aristarchus and Luke once again in the book of Philemon, a man that was very much in the inner circle of Paul's ministry companions. Paul will say here in verse 10, Demas in love with the world, this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. If you think back to our faith focus last week, A Pilgrim's Outlook, Demas lost his Pilgrim's Outlook. He no longer saw himself as going from here to there. He no longer had his mind set upon heavenly things. No, he very much had came to the mindset that this place, this world is already home and it is home enough. And so his love for the world outpaced his love for God and he just went to Thessalonica and he abandons the Apostle Paul. Paul says that Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Galatia was Asia Minor, part of Asia Minor, what we would consider today modern-day Turkey. Dalmatia was in southern Italy, and it appears that Paul sent out these two ministry companions. He sent them out to do ministry. And it appears that's the case because he goes on to say that he also sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Regardless of why they've gone or how they've gone, all of these ministry partners, all of these friends of Paul's have departed. And so it leads him to saying that, verse 11, he says, Luke alone is with me. And that leads to Paul's great request of Timothy, his great exhortation in this book. It's more than a request. I would say it's a kind of pleading that he says to Timothy. Because he says the same thing twice at the very end of this letter. He says, do your best to come. Verse 9, do your best to come to me soon. Or here in our verse 21, he says, do your best to come before winter. Be diligent. Make every effort. Expend yourself, Timothy, to come. To come to me. First, why before winter? 
exhorts him to make every effort to come before winter because at that time you wouldn't dare think about crossing the Mediterranean Sea during the time of winter from November all the way to March. Uh, it was almost impassable to, to cross the Mediterranean Sea in winter because of the violent storms that would erupt on it. You'll remember this. At the end of the book of Acts, when Paul has been arrested and he's being taken by these Roman soldiers to Rome. These sailors decide to go out onto the Mediterranean Sea, and Paul will warn them, don't do this. And yet they still do it, and you'll remember that the storms are so violent that they will have to throw all their cargo overboard, and Paul will say that for 14 days they go without food, and eventually they will shipwreck on the island of Malta. And so Paul is telling Timothy, he's just lived this. Timothy, come before winter. Why start now? Because I need you. Our first point this morning, we all need Christian friends. You need Christian friends. It's not sinful weakness to seek friends. It's godly wisdom. You and I are on a pilgrimage, pilgrimage from here to there. We need Christian friends that are alongside of us that understand that we're going from here to there, that walk alongside of us as we're here on our way headed there that have their mind focused on the same thing, that are aimed at the same thing, that are going to the same place. Winston Churchill uh, was there in the middle of World War II. He once asked a, a newspaper man, he said uh, to him, he said, do you know why, that growling voice he had, do you know why I hate Nazis? And being Churchill-esque, he never allowed anybody to answer a question he asked. And so he immediately filled it in. And he says, because those Nazi soldiers are always frowning when they're in battle. Or our boys are always smiling. What was he saying? And that we all need fellow soldiers alongside of us. We need fellow soldiers fighting alongside of us that are engaged in the same battle, that are headed to the same place, and are equally happy to be serving our King in this way for this purpose. It's needed. You need this. Let me just remind you of this from a few passages. Paul tells the church in Philippi that he desires to send Timothy to them, but he says he can't because he just can't part with Timothy yet. He needs him. He does send Epaphroditus, but listen how he speaks of Epaphroditus. He says, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. He needs him. In the book of Colossians, he will write of Aristarchus and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, calling them, quote, my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And he says, quote, they have been of comfort to me. He needs them. 
When writing to Titus, he asks him to come to him soon. Why? Because he needs him. But even that's not enough. Don't just come by yourself, Titus. He also asks for Zenus and Apollos to come as well. Why? Because he needs them. You need some Christian friends. You need them. We see this modeled not just in Paul's life. We see this modeled in Jesus' life. He surrounds himself, not just with disciples. He calls them my friends. And then he takes that grouping of friends and he peels off three that are more intentional, intimate friends and James and Peter and John. And he will employ them as his friends when he is in his moments of severest joy and when he is in his moments of severest trial he takes his friends with him John and James and Peter he when he goes up the mount of transfiguration he takes them to be with him when he goes into that garden of gethsemane and he knows that the agony that he's going to be under and the trial that he is going to face he takes John and James and Peter with him why Well, he tells them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. In a very real sense, in an earthly sense, from a human perspective, he needed them. You need friends. Let us ask second... What in particular is Christian friendship? What's Christian friendship? There's a long discussion in history about how to define friendship. It's an interesting discussion. Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, argued that friendship is, quote, the convergence in attitudes and aims. That is, for Aristotle, in his mind, a friend was someone that thought like you, that had the same desires as you. Really, for Aristotle, a friend was just someone that was you, but outside of you. Someone that thought like you, that liked the same things that you did, that reflected you, that was an imitation of you, and you were an imitation imitation of them. Plato, who will follow Aristotle, will disagree with this. And Plato will argue that friendship is all about usefulness. Friends are those that we benefit from, that we get something from, that somehow benefit us and we benefit them. Cicero, the Roman writer and philosopher who will follow Aristotle and Plato, he will say, well, all of that may be true. That may be part of friendship, what Aristotle said, what Plato said. But really the essence of friendship, Cicero said, the core of friendship is love. It's love. He said this, or as one writer said, it's built on the calculation of profit or, or the pursuit of excellence. is not built on those things, but on the expression of virtue. And that virtue in particular being the virtue of love. 
Christian thinkers in the early centuries were building upon Cicero and Ambrose, that great early church father who will have a huge impact upon St. Augustine, and Augustine himself will pick up this idea that Cicero has that really the core of of friendship is love, and they will take that and they will say, yes, it is love. That's the core of friendship. But what is love personified? Love personified is Christ. And so the core of Christian friendship is Christ. During the Middle Ages, there will be a lot of thought on friendship. There will be, especially in the monastic community, There will be a lot of things that are written among monks about what it looks like to have friendship. And really, it's a reaction because in the early church, you have what we call the desert church fathers who are trying to separate themselves from the world, and they will separate themselves from the church, and they will go out into the wilderness and live a hermit's life. And it's an utter failure. Why is it an utter failure? Because what I've told you time and again is that when you and I are saved, we're not saved just unto Christ. We are also saved unto one another. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. There's not even a Lone Ranger in Tonto Christianity. And they had to figure this out the hard way. And so you have these monastic communities that develop much in response to that, where now you know what, we're going to set ourselves apart from the world, but we're going to live together in friendship. And so they thought a lot about friendship. The term that will come to be used in the Middle Ages about this is spiritual friendship. They will talk about spiritual friendship. That's okay. I'm all right with that. But it's not the best. No, what we're after is Christian friendship. That's distinct. Christian friendship. Christian friendship has as its foundation Christ. And it has as its goal or aim or purpose Christ. That's Christian friendship. And that's what you need. He provides the foundation. Listen, friendships are always founded upon something. Often it's a, it's a common interest. We love to play golf, or we love to watch Michigan State basketball, or we love hunting or fishing. We have a common interest. Or we're at a common stage of life. We're both moms and we're raising young children, and so there is a common stage of life. Or we work in the same vocation, and so there is commonality because of the vocation that we work. We're both professors or we're both students, and so this becomes the the core, the centering thing of our friendship, of our relationship. And all of that's wonderful. All of that is good, and it provides the foundation for many friendships in the world, but that is not the foundation for Christian friendship. The foundation for Christian friendship is Christ. It's Christ. Christian friendship is unique because for the Christian, our friendship with another person, it's never just the two of us. There's always three of us. It's me and them in Christ. 
Our friendship, in fact, with Christ is the context for our friendship with one another. John 15, Jesus says this, He says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. We're his friends. Because he's revealed to us that which his Father desires. We know him and he knows us. We know the will of the Father. We get the same label that Abraham gets three times in the Old Testament. He is called a friend of God. And each time he's called a friend of God, it's because, why? Because God had revealed His will to Abraham. Moses will be called a friend of God. In Exodus, we have there in Exodus where, quote, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friends. What is happening? That there is intercourse. There is belonging. There is one that is giving themselves to, the another, to another. Abraham, you are my friend because I have revealed my will to you. Moses, you are my friend. I talk to you face to face. I have revealed my will to you. Jesus says to His disciples, He says to you and I, you are my friends because I have revealed the will of the Father to you. We now belong to Him. We understand this very thing we're focusing on, that this is not all that there is. We understand that we're on a pilgrimage from here to there. We understand that all of this exists for the glory of Christ. We understand that He has revealed the will of the Father to us. We are friends with Jesus. And that is the context for all of our Christian friendships. It becomes the foundation we relate to one another in Christ. And because of our friendship is in Christ, it's not only rooted in Christ, it's always for Christ. He's the goal. We're on a pilgrimage. And we're on a pilgrimage to join Him. And so all that I'm doing, it's alongside of this brother and this sister as we are together because we're seeking to inform one another's lives so that we look more like the one that we are going to be with. It's aimed at His glory. As one writer put it, just as the tallest trees are those found in a forest, so too in order to grow spiritually taller, we need tall people around us who will encourage growth. We seek to grow in Christ together. Christian friendship is founded in Christ and it is aimed at Christ. Why do you need fellow pilgrims? Why do you need these Christian friendships? Well, one is because on this pilgrimage from here to there, there are enemies everywhere. But you know where the greatest enemy is? It's not along the road. It's in here. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately sick. I don't see myself as clearly as I think I do. You don't see yourself as clearly as you think you do. 
You need a Christian friend who's walking alongside of you who will speak into that mess. When I look back over all of my years of being a Christian, and especially as a pastor, and I look at those who claimed the name of Christ and then they fell into some kind of heinous sin and they ended up wandering away and falling away from Christ and making their life a shambles, you know what almost every single one of them has in common? No one knew them. They had acquaintances, but no one knew them. If no one knows you, you are in a dangerous place. If no one knows you, you are in a dangerous place. If your best friends are non-Christians, you're in a dangerous place. You need Christian friends. You need Christian friends who will pray for you who will watch over you, and who will speak to you. And you need all three of these aspects. Some will watch, but they're too timid to speak. Some will pray, but they never know what to pray because they don't watch. Some will speak, but not out of love because they lack prayerfulness and watchfulness. You want praying, watching, speaking Christian friends. You don't just want it, you need it. Christian makes all the difference. A lot of our friendships in the church, they're failures because they're not Christian. Now, it's two Christians that are friends, but that's different than the friendship being Christian. Two Christians doesn't make a Christian friendship. A lot of our friendships in the church, they are failures. They're not Christian in themselves. I remember when I was three or four years old. It's one of my early distinct memories as a kid. I was out in my backyard at the duplex where my mom and sister and I lived, and I remember running around that sunny backyard, and I was picking flowers and picking flowers to race inside and give this bouquet of flowers to my mom and I would come running in and I gave her this bouquet of flowers and she graciously took them and she put them into a water jar and I was so proud of myself and I look back now and I think, you know, those weren't flowers, they were dandelions. They were weeds. When you have genuine Christian friendship, in which you both look at this life as a pilgrimage, where you both are seeking to inform one another's lives, where you both are aimed at the same thing together. You know it. And it's different. And all those previous friendships, they seem more like weeds than the flower of Christian friendship. Are we encouraging each other in Christ? If we think about our conversations with one another, are they filled with conversations of Christ? Are we challenging one another in Christ? Are we praying together in Christ? 
Or is your friendship simply filled with talking about your kids together and talking about schooling together and talking about the basketball game last night together? Or worse, is your friendship filled with complaining about our world and politics? Or worse yet, are you complaining about other Christians and the church together? Or does your friendship spur, does your friendship spur one another on to anger and wrath and bitterness and criticalness and complaint and hatred and even worldliness? Or does your friendship encourage joy and humility and love and peace and patience and kindness? And graciousness and self-control. Can I say that my friendship is helping me to look more like Christ? Can that person say that their friendship with me is helping them to look more like Christ? If this world is all that there is, If this is truly our home, then let's center our friendships upon basketball and pizza and politics and complaining. But if there's something eternal, then let's set our friendships around that. Let me answer some pushback that may be in your mind in closing. I don't know or have such friends. Well, find them. Find them. Friendships never mystically appear. They're made. They take effort. And it takes intentionality. There is no way around that. Listen, Paul was not shy in letting Timothy know, I need you. He had no problem saying to Titus, I need you. Jesus had no problem saying to John and James and Peter as he takes them into the garden, I need you. Watch with me. You make the need known. You say, well, that sounds strange to walk up to people and say, I need you. It is strange in this culture. But it's not strange in Christian culture. It's not to be strange here. Because I know I was saved not only to Him, but to you. And you were not only saved to Him, but to me. That I need you. And you need me. That's not strange. That's just Christian. We need each other. But I'm an introvert. It's hard for me to do something like this. I understand that. I have sympathies for that. It's easier for some of us to go out and approach people and make friends than it is for others of us. Uh, Last week, 
I can tell on him because he's not here. Barry Peterson, who was an elder here at the church, who left um, to move to North Carolina to assist Kevin DeYoung out there. Uh, he was here last week with his wife Sarah and family. And uh, I pulled Barry aside and I said, Barry, do you remember how we first kind of got to know each other? He said, No, I don't remember. I said, Well, I remember distinctly. Because I'd only been at URC for, I don't know, a month or two months, and I get a phone call from a guy I've never heard of. And he says, hi, I'm Barry Peterson. And he just launched into it. He said, hi, I'm Barry Peterson. My family and your family are going to have dinner together Wednesday night. It can be at your house. We'll bring the food, or we can meet at a restaurant. What do you want to do? <laughs> Leah didn't invite him, and I hadn't invited him, but he had invited himself. Uh, we don't all have the moxie of Barry. Uh, we can't all do that. If it's a struggle to find a couple of people in this church, then you still have responsibility to do it, to do something about it. You can approach me. Jason, I need a friend. You can approach Pastor Kevin. You can approach your elder. Here's fascinating enough, it's the deacon's job, according to our book of church order. It's part of their job to help those in the church that feel lonely, to find connection with others, to have friends. So you make the need known. I can't find that one great friend I need. Well, I just think that's frankly an unhelpful view. It's not helpful. You don't need one great friend. That puts too much pressure on one relationship. Paul had people with him. He said Luke was there. He mentions at the end that he's got Eubulus and Pudens and Linus and Claudia and, quote, all the brothers. And yet he still says he needs Timothy to come and he wants Mark to come. Why? Because obviously they brought something else to the table that the others did not. In some way they informed his life that the others did not, and so he needed them. It is incredibly unfair when you take one person and you say, that has to be my perfect friend, that relationship has to meet every need that I need in the Christian life. No! Paul doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Listen, you only needed one friend for justification, Jesus. He's a friend of sinners. But you need many friends for sanctification. He's given the church to you, and He's given you to the church. And He ministers to you. He conforms you to His likeness through the lives of others being in your life. I'd argue that you need at least three Christian friends to look, walk alongside of you. They don't all need to be perfect. They have different roles. One might be a prayer warrior that you run to when you need prayer. Another has wisdom about life issues. Another has the courage to press into your life with the hard questions. Another just helps you to laugh and not take yourself too seriously and treat this place like it's home and fixes your mind on heaven. They all just contribute in different ways. And as they contribute in different ways, it just helps to form you and mold you. And they need you. You don't need the perfect friend. You need some Christian friends. And they need you.
Yeah, but I've been burnt by Christian friends. Welcome to the club. Paul got burnt by Demas. He abandoned him. He didn't give up on Christian friendship. He says, Timothy, I need you. Come. Jesus is abandoned by every single one of his disciples, including Peter, and yet he pursues him at the end of the Gospels. But this all seems so self-focused. It isn't. It surely can be. But it isn't. Because we need one another. I need friends, you need friends, and we need this because we are all coming together and being built up into a holy temple unto our Lord. And so you need me to have friends, and I need you to have friends so that we are growing together unto Christ. We inform each other's lives. And if you aren't growing in Christ because you don't have friends that are helping you to do so, then I'm suffering. If I don't have friends that are helping inform my life and helping me to grow in Christ, then you're suffering because we're linked together. It's not self-serving. It's fascinating to me that I look at history and I think so often... The life that comes into the world, it bleeds out of Christian friendship. Almost always. When God does a major thing, He almost always historically has done it. It flows out of some band of brothers or sisters or some friendship group that that life just kind of bleeds out into the world. If you truly care for the world and you truly care for the church, then you invest in those relationships. John Witherspoon, when he was president of Princeton, used to say over and over to his theological students that when, quote, the church prospers, it was noticeable that her leaders flourish in clusters, each helping one another. The field of labor before us is great. And it's great with temptations and trials, but it's also great with potential, the potential of producing eternal fruit. So you are to find a Philemon that, as Paul says, refreshes the souls of the saints. You are to find a Barnabas who is an encouragement to those around him. You are to make your, made no, your need known that, look, I need a Timothy. I need you, Titus. I need you, Mark. And that benefits the church and it benefits the world. I was thinking about this this week. I'm not sure. I'm pretty confident, though. Think about relationships. Uh, There are only a few things that last from this world to the next. People are that. We're eternal beings. All this that you and I are passing through as pilgrims, most of it just burns. People last. And I think the relationships last. I don't think that those that are my friends here will somehow cease to be my friends there. I think that what I invest in here gets carried forward there. 
So what you're investing in in Christian friendship actually is something that is lasting and eternal and gets carried on into the heavens. Some of you need to find some Christian friends. Some of you need to look at your friendships with Christians and reassess. And be willing to say, you know what, we're Christians, but this has not been a Christian friendship. I give you permission to speak into my life. Can I have permission to speak into your life? Let's pray together regularly. Let's talk about where we're at regularly. Maybe we even dare to read the Bible together and think together regularly about the things of Christ. And let's try and stop one another from our friendship just being a complaint fest or just the latest trends fest or just the news fest or all of these things that disappear. And let's have good Christian, gospel, Christ-centered, Christ-exalting conversation with one another more often. What do you think about that? As pilgrims, we want to invest in things that last. That lasts. At last, would you find some Christian friends for the benefit of your soul, for the benefit of the church, and for the benefit of the world around us? Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful that you count us as your friends. We're thankful that our Lord and Savior Christ Jesus counts us as friends. Truly, this is one of the great blessings that we have in our Savior. And we do pray that from that context that we would live in friendship with others, that we would seek good, godly Christian, eternal, lasting friendship that has its foundation in Christ and has its aim as Christ. What could be better for our souls and all for your glory and praise? Grant us your grace, we pray, as we continue on our way home to be with you. And how glorious it shall be when we are gathered before your throne, gazing upon your glory in the face of our friend Christ Jesus and surrounded by all of our earthly friends and those that will be our friends for all of eternity. How we long for that. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.